This is Donald Trump's first week in Washington as president. He'd like to get some of his cabinet nominees confirmed by the Senate, but that's not really happening the way that he wants to. He's done some executive actions that perhaps are putting members of his own party in a strange place, and he's heading up to Philadelphia to strategize with members of his own party at a joint retreat. Welcome to the Big Story Podcast. I'm Jason Dick at CQ Roll Call. I'm joined by John Bennett, our White House correspondent, who's been who's had a front seat to a lot of what's been happening uh, since the president was inaugurated on Friday. And uh, it, again, it, it's, you know, Mr. Trump ran on his record as a businessman. He said he was going to shake Washington up. He certainly has shaken a few things up, but also it seems that he is uh, a little shaken himself with what's happening. Let's let's start with his cabinet nominees, John. You, you get the sense that um, Trump and his senior staff are definitely frustrated by the pace at which the Senate is moving or, in their perspective, <laughs> not moving very quickly. Democrats are using the, the, the usual Senate uh, rules and committee rules to at least delay um, even committee votes on some of the nominees. Uh, it looks like he could have four in his, in his first week as president. Obama, President Obama got seven on his first day. Um, and you can see Sean Spicer, the new White House press secretary, and even uh, the president in some of his early remarks have really started to slam the Democrat, Senate Democrats for this. And as you alluded to, Washington just doesn't move as fast as when he identified a company or a businessman to cut a deal with. It, it's then a matter of of Trump getting that person or those people to Trump Tower, uh, talk to them, feel them out, just, and then make a deal, kind of get the broad strokes, and then, by all accounts, call in his lawyers and son or, or his daughter, Ivanka, to cut the deal and do it relatively quickly. He's finding out that is just not going to happen um, with especially the, the Senate. Um, and the House is, all, is a whole different animal that he really hasn't had to go up against yet. One of the things that struck me uh, that Senator Schumer, Senator Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate, has said that they have identified eight uh, nominees for the for executive nominees that they have a problem with that they're that they want to take a, a lot of time to vet and so forth. There, but the most of the nominees really they don't have much of an issue with, and so there really isn't that much of a reason not to let them through. What do you think is behind Schumer's thinking? I think it's message sending directly to Trump. I think that is Schumer's way of letting Donald Trump know um, this is not a real estate deal. This is bigger. The stakes are higher. And if you want to get anything done, you're going to have to deal with me and my caucus. There's another thing that's going on. That, you know, this, Donald Trump said that he was on day one going to go in and he's going to start signing these executive orders or executive memoranda. There's a lot of uh, we, we got really into the weeds a little bit uh, with, you know, is this an executive order versus a memoranda versus a statement? I mean, in the end, it's the president saying that he wants to do something. He, he backed off of that a little bit on Inauguration Day and has but has since on Monday, he's picked up the pace and he's been signing a lot of executive orders. However, Let's talk a little bit. You, you had a story on Roll Call uh, earlier this week that talked about this sort of strange political dynamic that he might be putting his fellow Republicans in with some of these executive orders. Let's talk about some of those. Oh, yes, he, he signed uh, an executive uh, memorandum, and we're not lawyers here, so let's maybe not get <laughs> into the difference between these things. But he signed a, an executive memorandum that withdraws the United States from President Obama's Trans-Pacific Partnership, which he and his staff 
spent years and years negotiating with Asian countries. Um, it's that trade deal. If you talk to experts, um, try to talk to nonpartisan experts, and they they will tell you that trade pact in Obama's mind was as much about letting America's allies in the region know that Washington has their back uh, as China continues to rise and continues to be the big boy on that block, and also made some some new allies. Vietnam comes to mind. And then there, there is the, the opening of uh, or the widening of Asian markets for U.S. goods. And that's where you get this conflict between Republican President Trump and Republicans on the Hill, like Speaker Paul Ryan. The Republican Party long has been— um, The party and, of free trade. Right, they have billed themselves as the party of free trade. And as I wrote back in the summer when Trump accepted the nomination— at least for four years, that designation, that self-designation was, was very much in question. And I, I think I think Trump's going to have some trouble with his own party on trade. What, what, what the White House is now saying is it's going to be all about bilateral trade agreements, so agreements directly between the U.S. and another country. Right. Um, you know, if you want to go back and negotiate bilateral deals with all the TPP countries, there goes your first term. That is going to take a long time, and also there's talk now of a U.S.-U.K. deal. How big is the the, the trade negotiating staff going to be mm-hmm. to get all these these bilateral deals done? And it's unclear exactly how this 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 dynamic, especially between Trump and Ryan, is going to play out. And we got a clue in Ryan's statement about the Monday executive actions and orders and memorandums. He didn't mention TPP. He just applauded the president for seeking better trade deals. Meanwhile, Democrats, particularly Democrats from the Rust Belt, people from Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, they they reacted like they had hit the lottery. I mean, they, they were thrilled. And so you had this very strange dynamic of Democrats on the Hill just praising him, you know, to no end. And not just like, you know, moderates or, you know, gun rights, you know, sort of dem- like these sort of, you know, more conservative Democrats. There's people like Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow and Tammy Baldwin. I mean, liberals, like true and th- true and through liberals were saying like, this is a great thing. I mean, Bernie Sanders, Chuck Schumer, again, the, the Senate Minority Leader, and Bernie Sanders, who gave Hillary Clinton a real run for her money, said, you know, have, have said, you know, we are closer to Trump when it comes to trade and worker protections than we were to President Obama or President Bush. And so it just it it's just weird. And then Sean Spicer, as you mentioned, the White House press secretary is talking about how, you know, like trade protections are going to be built into these things. We're going to get we're going to like make sure Americans workers. Are, it was just kind of weird to hear that from a, a Republican from the White House briefing room. Right. Well, now we're back to one of the central questions. Is Donald Trump really a Republican? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're a, a few days in to his administration and he's not he's not always walking and talking like a Republican. He didn't always walk and talk like a Republican during the campaign, but you know, I as I keep saying, it really feels like there's a storm coming and it's just what kicks it off. A storm coming between Trump and his own party. What kicks it off? Will it be a trade matter? Will it be, you know, he's talking about a one trillion dollar infrastructure deal. I covered budget and the defense budget for a long time. And, you know, I talked to House uh, Deputy Whip Tom Cole a few weeks ago, and he agreed with me that infrastructure bill, fiscal conservative Republicans will demand that all or most of it is, is offset with other cuts. 
called pay-fors. And as Cole's agreed with me, pay-fors might be the hardest thing in Washington to negotiate, you, you, at least in the spending realm. Right. You don't get a trillion dollars by cutting out waste, fraud, and abuse, which That's is right. the sort of the central mantra. That's I mean, right. and, and recall that in 2009, after the Obama you know, administration kicked in and they were looking at a massive stimulus bill because of the Great Recession, the economy was cratering. I mean, there were, unemployment was at 10%. They were only able to get... Even with sixty votes, you know, in mm. in the Senate, they were only able to get, uh, you know, a seven hundred billion dollar infrastructure stimulus plan, uh, which included, you know, all all sorts of goodies for everybody and shovel ready project. That sounds like, you know, that's something that Trump would love to have, and that was really dicey. They they really didn't get a lot of. Republican enthusiasm on that. I mean, and so now they're talking about a trillion dollars. And it, again, it puts Republicans in this strange position of arguing for fiscal conservatism at the same time that they want to support their president. Two things about the infrastructure bill that come to mind. Number one, can Donald Trump convince, if need be, Paul Ryan to put something along, something in the one trillion dollar neighborhood on the House floor and pass it with Democratic vote? Is Donald Trump really going to have uh, Paul Ryan, look at Nancy Pelosi and say, Nancy, pass the bill. Get it done. Get the votes. Um, Trump might be inclined to make the ask because he just wants to win. He just wants wins. He just wants to cut deals. He just he just wants to get it done. I might just note that the in asking, if he asked for Democratic help in passing something in the House, that would be you know, sort of this egregious violation of what's come to be known as the Hastert rule, which is that you need a majority of the majority to pass anything. Democrats have argued for the last few years, being in the minority in the House, that it's not even the majority of the majority that you have to get. You actually have to get 218 votes. You have to get a majority of the House, you know, in order to pass anything. And also, you know, this the, the interesting dynamic of like, are Democrats going to provide pressure on Paul Ryan to get something to the floor in violation of his own caucus? I mean, we're, we're talking about like a fascinating political dynamic just in the House. This is before we even get to the Senate. Right. Right. I think the infrastructure bill will be, if, if, if it materializes, uh, will be maybe the most interesting thing that happens this year, the most fascinating where all of these different levers might get you know, pulled at the same time, and who knows what happens. And the second point I was going to make is Donald Trump campaigned very successfully that he was going to come to D.C. and drain the swamp. Imagine the whip operation, whoever's pushing that across the finish line, say in the House, um, for the drain the swamp administration, then promising projects, promising money for projects. Bridges to nowhere. Right. You can Bridges, hear the head, you can see the headlines right bridges now. Bridges <laughs> to nowhere, paving streets that don't, just to get votes. That is the definition of everything that Trump ran on. And it, 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 that, that, that is something that I could see happening very late at night in a room near the, the House chamber, and then a steady drip of these stories. And we know Trump loves cable news, well, doesn't always love cable news. He usually uh, seems like he hates it most of the time. Imagine those those stories leaking out, dripping out about how the administration got the vote, the last votes they needed by promising things. Some sidewalk project in Omaha or something like that. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> that, 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 it, that's going to be the price of of uh, I know a trillion dollar infrastructure pr program. Right. I mean, if he was, uh, the reports are he was he was irate on sa uh, earlier on Saturday uh, this past weekend with. You know the the side by side pictures on cable news of his inaugural crowd versus the the women's march. If he was irate 
at that, imagine how upset he would be five, six months from now, a year from now, with cable news uh, pundits um, criticizing him for essentially buying votes. Speaking of votes, let's talk a little bit about uh, President Trump's seemingly, you know, kind of he just can't keep talk about these these this alleged voter fraud that enabled Hillary Clinton to beat him in the popular vote. He's repeated it many times. The White House, you know, Sean Spicer said that Trump does believe, the president does believe in his mind that up to three and a half million people voted fraudulently. We should note, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that this happened. There is none available on the planet. And this was the most covered election in the history of mankind, arguably. And yet he keeps bringing it up and it keeps on sort of making the rounds in the media. Both leaders were, were asked about it at their, you know, their, their policy lunch, you know, microphone, you know, press availabilities. You know, Mitch McConnell dodged it as artfully as he could. And but while saying that, well, voter fraud does exist without giving credence to that, that there are up to five million, uh, you know, a voter fraud allegations. Uh, and then Chuck Schumer like it hit it right exactly. And then Bernie Sanders brought it up, too, that like this is just a, you know, uh, it's it's ridiculous. And it's also sending a message to Republican governors to keep up voter suppression. I mean, what what is it with the numbers thing? First, the inauguration and now the voter fraud thing. I mean, like, is this are they really going to be able to renegotiate the Trans-Pacific Partnership or NAFTA or things like this at the same time that they're arguing about crowd size and voter fraud that doesn't exist? Well, I think it depends on who. Uh, who they hire to to negotiate these trade deals, uh, who they bring in to help out, but you know, by all accounts, I think what what's behind this is, you know, Donald Trump is he's obviously a very shrewd politician. He got himself elected president of the United States without ever having um, even even he never ran for office, much less held office. But I think deep down, you do see a portrait starting to emerge of a very insecure president, a very thin-skinned president. There's really no, like you said, there's no evidence. Sean Spicer came out today, and um, it was interesting. His wording indicated um, to me, for my seat in the briefing room, he was trying to distance himself from his boss. Uh, he, his quote was, uh, this is something he believes. This is a belief he has. Um, this wasn't. This is something the White House has concluded. Uh, this he, he Sean Spicer, unlike Saturday, never said he. Sean Spicer believes it. He put it right on the president when he was asked, "What is this evidence of which you speak?" Um, Spicer just kind of shrugged it off and moved on to the next question. So, you know, the the danger here, I think, for the Trump administration is, and I think you were alluding to this. If they keep bringing things like this up day after day after day, and if— There are only so many hours in the right, day. <laughs> and, right. There's only so many hours in the day to deal with either a self-created crisis or, a, or one that you have fanned back into a fire um, and then try to negotiate a trade deal with South Korea. Um, there's, like you said, there's only so many hours in a day. There are only so many hours for meetings to decide how to clean up a mess while— resolving the last three issues with a with a trade deal the there is a retreat a, a joint republican uh, house senate retreat up in philadelphia uh this week the president is is 
to make an appearance. At least that's that's the plan now. Um, the apparently the schedule they can't quite nail down the exact schedule because they don't have a schedule from the White House. Uh, which I mean, take that as as you may. That that may be something that they're just firming up the schedule, or maybe the fact that there are there's a lack of an advanced team, uh, which we haven't heard a whole lot about. So what do you what are we expecting? What are we looking for? to come out of this joint retreat? Because there's going to be a lot of strategy, obviously. The White House is involved. Both, you know, houses are, are looking to figure out what's going on. What are you going to look for as a reporter, like, you know, in this joint retreat? What do we, what can we expect? I am focused on, uh, at least from, from Trump's in, uh, involvement, is he sending a message that this is our Republican agenda, that we are collectively and collaboratively going to work on and write together and make trade-offs and you're going to get some of the things you want and I'm going to get some of the things I want or a lot of things I want? Or is he going there to kind of get the troops in line to enact the Trump agenda? There is no, there's really no, speaking of evidence, there's no evidence to um, conclude that the Trump agenda and the Republican agenda line up even half of the time. My, you know, it'll be interesting to see again if he's giving orders or if he's trying to kind of butter them up to work with him, or or if he's demanding they're pushing his agenda through and quickly. They they keep the White House in, in first one hundred days. You would expect this, but it is a little striking how often they're using the word quickly. They want to do a lot in the next few weeks and months, and. You know, we've both been at this a while. Congress just does not move that quickly. So their use of that word makes me think he just wants Congress to take his agenda and get it to his desk as quickly as possible. And what are we I mean, we have seen some, you know, some legislation from Democrats, you know, particularly on infrastructure. Have we seen the same sort of thing from Republicans? Because it seems like we just hear like that they're they continue to keep planning things. I think they're walking a very thin line. You know, they understand how politics works. They know that, you know, Trump carried a lot of their districts and states by a very wide margin. Um, so I think while a lot of them are still, um, shall we say, lukewarm to a Trump presidency, they know, at least for now, they can't buck him, at least not publicly. So there's really no incentive for them to put out a bunch of bills that, you know, who know Trump could take to Twitter. And 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 take Knock a, him down. And yeah, he could he could take a, a second term House member who's just dropping a bill trying to impress the chairman, take him to task on Twitter, and re-election gets really hard. And that's it's twenty eighteen is not that far away. Well, it's going to be very. I mean, this again, this is just week number one. So you know, we'll we'll be here covering this kind of stuff. And I appreciate uh, talking about you know, just like it seems like this was just a sip from the fire hose of this week. So is it really just the first week? <laughs> it's really just the second day, actually, right. of the first week. Right. All right. Thank you, John Bennett, our White House correspondent here at CQ Roll Call. I'm Jason Dick. This has been the Big Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again.